The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. We love it that way, don't we? I would like to read verses 4 through 6 once again. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Four, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of of the world to come. If they shall fall away. To renew them again under repentance. Seeing that they crucify to themselves. The son of God. Afresh. And put him. To an open. Shame. Now I've entitled. This message. Though we thus speak. That helped me to understand that the writer is saying something that he realizes is unusual, is different. And he says, though we thus speak. Now I want to make three introductory comments before we get into this passage of scripture. Number one. Throw the whole Bible at a passage to see what it means. It's not going to be contrary to what the scripture teaches. Throw the whole Bible at it. Number two, I fear taking a passage of scripture and trying to fit it into what I believe. I don't want to do that. I want to come to the word of God with reverence and fear. And I don't want to say, well, it, here's the way I believe it must mean this. I don't want to do that. Number three, every gospel message is to comfort God's people. If I'm not comforted from this message, it hasn't been handled the right way. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And every gospel message is to comfort God's people. Now, that doesn't mean there's not reproof, rebuke, correction. Uh, every time we hear the gospel, there's some correction going on. I have no doubt about that. Um, but if this message is preached as it ought to be preached, God's people will gain comfort and assurance from this passage of Scripture. Now, here's what it appears to say. It appears to say that you can come this close to being saved. You can be enlightened. You can taste the heavenly gift. 
You can be a partaker of the Holy Ghost. You can taste the good word of God. And you can taste the power, the powers of the world to come. You can come that close to being saved and miss it. That's what it appears to say. You can experience all of those things and yet not be saved and lost forever. And it could appear to say that you can be a partaker of the Holy Ghost. You can taste the good word of God. You can be a partaker of the Holy Ghost, taste of the heavenly gift, be enlightened, and end up being lost. You can experience all those things and end up being lost. Now, it could appear, if you don't understand the rest of the scriptures, it could appear to say either one of those things. You can come this close and yet be lost. Or you can actually experience these things in a saving way and yet be lost after all of that. Now, as a young believer, this passage used to terrify me. When I would read this passage of Scripture, I would actually not look forward to reading Hebrews chapter 6 because of this passage of Scripture because I thought, if somebody like that can come that close, if they can actually be enlightened and taste of the heavenly gift and be made a partaker of the Holy Ghost and taste the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if somebody like that can come that close and still be lost, then I'll be lost without question. If somebody can experience all that and yet not be saved, I will not be saved. What makes me think that I am saved? Now, this is said exactly as the Holy Spirit would have it said. Amen? This is said exactly as God the Holy Spirit would have it said. Now, we want, what we want to know is, what does it mean? We see what it appears to say, but what does it mean? Now, we know what it doesn't mean from the light of other scriptures. It does not mean that someone God has saved can lose their salvation. The Bible teaches the eternal security of God's elect. I can quote so many scriptures. The Lord said in John 6, 39, This is the will of him which sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Certain. The Lord said regarding his sheep, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. Do you believe that one of his sheep can perish? No. He said they shall never perish. Think of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, 
verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not? What could possibly prevent him from freely giving us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God justified them. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, it's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost, not almost, the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jude 24 now unto him that's able to keep you from falling. And that's talking about persevering in the faith. If you persevere, it's because he enabled you to. Now unto him that's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Unto him be glory both now and forever. Now of this I'm sure... If a believer could fall away, I would fall away. Of that, I am double sure. If God has saved me and I lose that salvation, three things are true. Number one, if Christ intended to save me, and I end up being lost, he failed in his intention. He wasn't able to save me. If Christ died for my sins, if I'm a child of God, and I end up being lost, Christ failed in saving me. Number two, if a child of God can lose their salvation, that means salvation is by works. That means it's up to you to keep yourself. That's all that means. Salvation is by works. And number three, if that's true, nobody will be saved. Nobody will be in heaven. Not of the fallen sons of Adam. No one will be in heaven. But thank God, Christ is no failure. He is incapable of failure. Whatever he intends to do, that's what is done. Number two, salvation is by grace. It's not by works. It's by grace, free grace. And number three, <laughs> all that he died for will be eternally saved. In light of this scripture, we... Ask what does it mean? We know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean somebody that God elected, Christ died for, and God the Holy Spirit gave a new heart to. It doesn't mean that someone who really believes the gospel can fall away. What does it mean? Now, I've got to go to verse 9 once again, and this is what really helped me, um, where he said, Beloved, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Though we're using language like this. And you've got to admit, 
that the language is unusual, to say the least. It doesn't fit in to our notion of eternal security. So what does it mean? What does the Holy Spirit mean in this passage of Scripture? Well, you've got to go back to chapter 5. We've uh, considered this in the last couple of weeks, but let's start reading in verse 12 or verse 11. Of whom, speaking of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Now, faith cometh by hearing. And when one becomes dull of hearing, there will be a problem in faith. And he says to these people, you've become dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again what be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk, not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He's a babe, he's an infant, he's immature. But strong meat belongeth to them who are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. To know the difference between good and evil, law and gospel, grace and works. That which is of God, that which is of the flesh. Therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, therefore leaving these principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto maturity, perfection, not laying again. Now he's not saying we leave these things. He's saying if we have to lay this foundation over and over and over again, the structure's not going to go up. There will be no maturing in grace. These have to be learned and as automatic to us as the ABCs. And he names them. Not laying again the foundation. And he names these six things of repentance from dead works. A change of mind about dead works, seeing them for what they are, and you can only be saved by the grace of God. And all your works before he saved you were dead works. Of faith toward God, repentance and faith. Faith in Christ as God. Of the doctrine of baptisms, and the doctrine of baptisms is union with Christ. That's what it refers to. Of the laying on of hands, and that's talking about the priest laying his hand, hands on the head of the sacrifice, the transference of guilt, the transference of sin. The transference of righteousness and of resurrection of the dead. Christ's bodily resurrection, spiritual resurrection, the new birth, the final resurrection. And of eternal judgment. I love eternal judgment. Not just judgment, but eternal judgment. And a judgment that took place in eternity. And he says, this we will do. And I love the way he says this. If God permit. We are very aware of our utter dependence upon God for this to take place. We will go on to maturity if God permit. Verse 4. 4. It is impossible. Now don't miss this word impossible. Not highly unlikely, but impossible. It is impossible one time the disciples asked the Lord after they saw the rich young ruler turned away who then can be saved if this fellow can't be saved who then can be saved 
And the Lord said, with men, it is impossible. If salvation is in any way dependent upon what men do, it is impossible. Paul said, for what the law could not do. And that's the same word translated impossible. What was impossible for the law? What's impossible for the law to save a sinner? I love this. It's impossible for God to lie. I want you to think how easily lies roll off our tongue. Don't have to teach anybody to lie. comes natural. But it's impossible for God to lie. Isn't that glorious? It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Any kind of religious ceremony. It can't take away sins. I love this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now here we go. This, the writer says, is impossible. Not highly unlikely but impossible and look what he says for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift now taste has to do with experience taste and see that the Lord is gracious taste has to do with experience And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away. To renew them again to repentance. Seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, one comment I'd like to make. You know, these folks who say you can be saved, lost, and saved again. Well, if you can be saved and lost, you can't be saved again, according to this passage of Scripture. You can't be saved again. It's over. But he's saying it's impossible for them to be saved. Here's what would have to take place. Christ would have to be crucified again. That's not going to happen. Christ would have to be crucified again. And these people put him to an open shame. Now what's that mean? If Christ saved me and I lose my salvation, I lose a lot. I'm going to be in hell. I'm going to suffer the wrath of God. If Christ saves me and I lose my salvation, but you know who's going to lose more? Christ himself. Because his honor and his glory is seen in the salvation of his people. And if any of his people are lost, it would put him to shame. He's not the successful savior. He might have saved some, but in this case, he didn't. Now, consider these Five descriptions. 
of a believer. First of all, you were once enlightened. Now, this is where salvation begins insofar as our experience goes. Enlightened by God. Enlightened to see who he is. Enlightened to see who we are as sinners. There's a time when we didn't see it. And here's the light that's principally being spoken of. The light that the Lord was speaking of when he said, I am the light of the world. And he said that right after he looked at that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and he said, I do not condemn you. Now, is he saying, it's okay. Salvation's by grace. I'm not going to condemn you even though you did it. No. He's saying, I'm not condemning you because you never did it. Justification. That's why he doesn't condemn. You know, if he said, I'll by no means clear the guilty. If she's guilty, he's going to condemn her. But because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the light of the gospel, this is the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because of the light of the gospel, the Lord can say of that poor publican who was self-condemned, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He said, I tell you, that man went down to his house justified. Remember, that means having never sinned. Perfect in my sight. Just before the holy law of God. What are the, isn't it glorious to have that light? Somebody that has that light? And then the next thing he mentions. They've tasted. They've tasted. Of the heavenly gift. You've tasted the salvation's a gift. And it tastes good, doesn't it? You've tasted. I think of that scripture. Oh, David said, oh, come and taste that the Lord is gracious. Taste has to do with experience. You've experienced salvation as a gift. Not the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know something about the gift of righteousness. Don't you love how righteousness is called a gift? It's a gift he gives you. And if he gives it to you, it's yours. You've tasted of the heavenly gift. All of salvation is the gift of God. I love what the Lord said to the woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God. And who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink. You would have asked and he would have given you. Living water. You ever taste the gift? And then the third thing he mentions. And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now this is something that every believer has experienced. I've been born from above. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. A partaker of the Holy Ghost given a new nature. This is what being born again is. Given a new, being a new creature. A new man in Christ Jesus. You've been made a partaker of the Holy Ghost. Partakers of the divine nature, Peter calls it. This is true of every believer. Then the fourth 
thing he mentions is you've tasted. There's that word again. You've tasted the good word of God. It's good to you. It's your necessary food. The word of God is quick, living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. You've fed on the word of God. You believe the word of God. You find your salvation in what this book declares concerning the living word of God. You've tasted, and it tastes good. You've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Now, there is a world to come. Everything right now is just temporary. It's going to be over soon. And there's the world to come. And you've tasted of the powers. The kingdom of God is not in word only, but also in power. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Christ is the power of God. And you've tasted the powers of the world to come. That sounds like a believer, doesn't it? You know why? It is a believer. He is described being a believer. That being said, it's equally true that I have seen people who appeared to be this way, who have appeared to fall away. It's a very sobering thought, but it's true. I've seen people who appeared to have all five of these blessings of grace, but where are they now? Where are they now? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Where are they now? They're no longer here and no longer seem to need to hear the gospel, and I'm sure they all have a wonderful excuse as to why this is the case. But they appeared to be this person. Look what he says in verse 6. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, bring them to repentance. You can't be renewed unto repentance. Can't happen. Seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, Christ crucified wasn't enough. He needs to be crucified again. And they put him to an open shame. If somebody like that could be saved and fall away, that's what it would take place. Verse 7, for the earth, which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. That which bears fruit is blessed by God. Now, you think of the parable of the sower. Four types of grounds that the seed was sown on. It was the same seed in all four of these places. There was the wayside here, the hard, beaten path where the seed didn't penetrate. There was the shallow soil here where it sprang up, but it was only temporary. There was the thorn-choked here, and there was the good ground here. What was the difference between the good ground here and the other three? Fruit. More fruit. 
the others didn't. And we're going to see what that fruit is in this passage of Scripture. We can be real plain. Let's go on reading. But, verse 8, that which bear thorns and briars is rejected. It's nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Read John chapter 15 of the branch that did not bear fruit. And what was its end? It was burned. But, verse 9, this is such a precious but. This is the but of grace. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. And don't miss that. There's always something that accompanies salvation. What's on salvation? And what is it? Let's go and read. But beloved, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget. Your work and labor of love, which you showed toward his name, in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, here's the difference between a real believer and a nominal believer love. Love. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love toward his name. Now, his name is who he is. His name is the person behind the name. You love his name. You love everything his name represents. You love his sovereignty. Or don't you love him being sovereign? You love his holiness. You wouldn't want him to be any other way. You love his justice, his absolute justice. You love his grace. You love his omnipresence. You love that you can't go anywhere where he's not. You love his omniscience, his wisdom. You love his omnipotence. You love his power. You love his immutability. You love that he can't change. You love his independence, how he has no needs outside of himself. He's altogether glorious. He's other, and you love his name. You love him. You love his gospel. You love the way he saves sinners. And notice, he says, your work and labor of love. Love is never idle. It's just not. It's never idle. And here's how you demonstrated your love to his name in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, what's a saint? It's somebody the Lord loves. It's a sanctified one. It's one of his holy ones. Don't you love everybody he loves? You do. He that loveth him that begat also loveth him that's begotten of him. Somebody that loves Jesus Christ... You love that person. 
love that person. You might not have anything in common with them, humanly speaking, but you love them. Christ loves them. They love Christ. You love them. Verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you showed toward his name in that you've ministered, you have ministered to the saints and do minister. It's what's going on right now. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now, the end. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. He's talking about perseverance here. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, here's what we desire. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. You know one thing I don't want to be? I don't want to be a half-hearted believer, do you? I don't want to be a part-timer. I want to be all in. Every one of his people want to be all in. You see, what we're talking about now, it's the one thing needful. You remember when Mary sat at the feet of the Lord and Martha complained. She was cumbered about with much serving. She said, Lord, bid her that she help me. And he said, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. What was she doing? She sat at his feet and heard his word. You know this thing of full assurance of hope? Full assurance of hope doesn't mean I know I'm saved and nobody can tell me different. I was there when it happened. I remembered it. I know I'm saved. That's, that's not full assurance of hope. Here's what full assurance of hope is. Full assurance of hope is that the hope you have that what Christ did is everything in your salvation. You need nothing else. And you're fully assured of that. It is finished. You know why I'm going to persevere all the way to the end? Because it is finished. You know my perseverance and I want to I want to lay hold upon the kingdom of heaven lay hold upon the son of God my perseverance has already been determined because Christ said it is finished. Full assurance of hope to the end that you be not slothful now, that word slothful is the same word uh, up there in verse 11 of chapter 5 is dull. Dull of hearing. I don't want to be dull of hearing to you. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I want to be a hearer of the word. I want to hear what he says, and I want to be a doer of the
the word. Here's our desire for you that every one of you do show the same diligence of the full assurance of the hope in the end that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and the product of faith is patience. If I believe, I'm going to be patient. When I'm not patient, at that time at any rate, I'm not exercising faith, am I? How many times did the Lord say to the disciples, where's your faith? I mean, I know you have it, but you certainly can't see it. O ye of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? But in the exercise of faith, there is patience. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises, the promises of salvation in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in Christ's name that you would enlighten us, give us the light of thy gospel, the light of the knowledge of thy glory in the face of thy Son. Lord, we pray that we might taste of your gift and that we might taste of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come that we might be partakers of thy spirit Lord enable us to persevere all the way to the end and Lord we ask that we might be given the precious gift of grace to see your beauty and to love you for who you are, and to love your gospel. Lord, bless this word for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray.